So I'd be like, "Is so I'd be like, stop scratching the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't get it. I don't care. No, no, no. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about arts and performance in Edmonton. My name is Fonda and Paul is in, uh, he's at the Vancouver Fringe this week. So I've done something a little bit different. I tracked down uh, one of Edmonton's um, most favorite playwrights, Colin Doyle, who is releasing um, an anthology of his works on New West Press coming up next month. So uh, we got to chat with him and it was great. And we'll throw to that right away. But I also wanted to to let you know that we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Um, and so with that, I will leave you with our interview with Colin Doyle. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I am here with a very special guest today, uh, playwright Colin Doyle. Hello, Colin. Hello. How are you? Good. Good. Um, so, so why are we here today? <laughs> um, we're here promoting my uh, collection of plays uh, called The Mighty Carlins and other plays that has been published by New West Press, and it comes out October 15th, and the book launch is October 16th. Wow. Well, we'll get the event details from okay. that, and we'll uh, throw them up with our episode notes. Um, but uh, so why, um, why is it important for a playwright to, to be published in, in, in a book form? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that you, it allows you to be eligible for certain things. <laughs> it allows me to be eligible for, um, I think, the Governor General's Award is the main one for this. Um, and I think also uh, the the Edmonton Writers Award, maybe, is another one that they're going for with this thing. Uh, it's also just a great way to, uh, I guess, when you're submitting the play to theater companies in Canada or across the world, it's a little bit more respectable to say, hey, here's my collection of plays uh, if you're interested in it. And it's also for uh, actors to discover plays, to discover my plays, I guess. So I guess that's why uh, publishing helps. <laughs> yeah, the distribution options change a little bit, I think, if you're, you're in book form. Um, so, and this is your first set of plays that's been published? Um, this is my first set of plays published on its own. I was published in a, in a, a book of one-person shows uh, about Six years ago, six years ago, called "One for the Road." So my play, "Dear Pentas," was published in that collection. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, if for for this particular um, collection, um, why why did you choose these three plays? Um, these are the three plays that um, have been produced in mine so far. So, "Mighty Crowns" produced in two thousand eight. Uh, "Let the Light of Day Through" was produced in. Uh, 2013, I believe. And then my kids' play for Teens Roots was uh, produced in 2009. So these are the three plays that have been produced by theater companies, and they've also been produced by uh, theater companies across Canada. So, mm -hmm. so not, not just Edmonton. <laughs> not just Edmonton. I mean, I mean, Carlin's has been in like the hot spots like White Horse and, uh, and Saskatoon and Montreal, so, <laughs> and turned into a radio play in, uh, in, uh, in London. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's get let's uh, get to know you a little bit more for um, our listeners who, um, even though we've talked about you on the podcast before and your shows because we've seen them. Um, and uh, I, I'm full disclosure, I was working at Theater Network when Let the Light of Day Through premiered. Uh, so, you know, knowing you from there as well. Um, but yeah, so um, what's your trajectory been? You started out, um, I mean, you were, went to the National Theater School. And now you're back here. Have you been here for a long time? <laughs> yeah. So I uh, 
I left Edmonton in 1994. I went to Red Deer College for two years in the theater arts program there. And then from there, I went to the National Theater School as an actor from uh, 1996 to 99. I graduated there. And then I moved back to Edmonton in 2000. Um, and I tried to build a career here as an actor. So I was an actor here in Edmonton uh, from 2000 to about 2008. And then I, I slowly stopped acting and I got a real job. And then I started playwriting around 2002. So <laughs> it started out with fringe plays and then... The Mighty Collins was my first play that there was interest in and won some awards. And, and so now I'm more of a playwright than an actor. So I haven't really acted in a long time until The Fringe this year. So Yeah, and I did I did want to bring that up. You were in The Zoo Story this summer. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, not, not exactly a revival production, but it was sort of like a renewal of a production that you had done with James Hamilton years ago. Yeah, so The Zoo Story we first did, I, I call it like, be reliving our high school memories a little bit. So we did the zoo story for the first time in 1993. About so 25 years ago, right around this time, we started rehearsing it. And you were in high school. Yeah, we were in high school. We did it as the at the one act festivals at uh, uh, probably a lot of young actors from them to know. So the Zone Eight One Act Festival here, and then we went to Red Deer and we got we we made some big money. We got some scholarships for it of a hundred dollars each. <laughs> wow, it was a very big deal back in the day. And then uh, and then we redid it in 2002. Um, at the Fringe and it went quite well and then we always talked about that we wanted to do the play when we reached the characters' ages so in the play uh, Albie says that James Hamilton's character is in his 40s and the character I played Jerry is in his late 30s so we're, we're at that age so we're like let's do it again so we did it this summer and uh, yeah it was great it was a lot of fun and how, how, did it, how did it feel for you to be in the character's age at this, this time around? Um, the one thing that changed was just the discovery of the time passing To so I mean Jerry's a loner who's uh, who who's living. He's basically homeless, I guess, and he's living in rooming houses on the Upper West Side of New York. And so, when I was eighteen, I really didn't get. Uh, I didn't have the history of like when twenty years passes, as you lose friends and family over twenty years. It's 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 a long time. It's massive. So, uh, in the past, when I did it, I didn't really understand that because I was too young. But just like just slowly, where your life can end up in your forties, uh, if you, uh, I guess, if you don't if you don't have a, a support group around you is, is, is very different. So that's the one thing that really hit me was just like, he has this history and a, a lot of time has passed and he used to have friends and family and probably a life and slowly it's disappeared and he ended up in the spot. So, yeah. 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 I, the, I, I, I first came across zoo story when I was in high school too. Of course we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, um, you know, I, uh, we never really thought of like reversing the gender roles, I guess, at that time either. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, and so I read in um, one of your bios here for the book that you were nominated for the Zoo Story for a Sterling Award, um, but back in two thousand two, I would guess. Yeah, it was two thousand two, and uh, I, I lost to Sheldon Elter. Oh. When he did Matey Mutt for the first time, so. Oh. oh what <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I knew I had no chance. So it was all good. <laughs> That's interesting because Matey Mutt did win all the awards this year. Yeah. Again. Yeah. You never want to go against Sheldon Elter. You no. just won't. Uh, it, you, you won't win. <laughs> no, no one does. <laughs> but well, good for Sheldon. Um, although you have won a number of Sterlings. For yes. Your place. I, I've done very well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to to briefly recap, because I actually think you won another one before all of this went to press. Um, you've won the Mighty Carlin's one for Outstanding New Play and Let the Light of Day Through also did yeah. and then this year Terry and the Dog won as well yeah Terry and the Dog won yeah that was great it was uh, it was uh, yeah it was I don't know it was 
I was really proud of the play and I was really proud of the production. So it was nice to, to go on stage and get to thank people. So yeah, 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 it was great. It was kind of one of those like last little gems right at the end of the season. And it was just kind of like swept through. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the the plays in the anthology here. Um, you uh, you have in your intro, you make quite a quite a. Um, an honest uh, nod to Millwoods. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to kind of chat a little bit about not only Millwoods, but how the role of um, like the city and town plays uh, plays a part in in uh, in these characters lives. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Millwoods and um, actually right now in the CBC, they were doing a whole series on Millwoods. And one of the t- things they talked about was the unfortunate uh, reputation that Millwoods gets as being a a violent, dangerous place, which uh, anyone that actually lives in Millwoods um, knows that that is just absurd. Um, so when I started writing The Mighty Carlins, I I just find Millwoods, I do find Millwoods strange. It's this really boring suburb, but weird things happen in. So, so that was one of the things when I was writing The Mighty Carlins, I wanted just to write about my hometown. I, I wanted to write about Millwoods. So that's where it started. And just uh, the, the writers I really admire in, in fiction, um, usually you know um, where they're from. Like they, they like when I, I think of Ian Rankin writing about Scotland as a mm. crime writer and just how he's embraced his city and, and, and turned it into a myth almost. And so, so there's something like I wanted to do that with Mill Woods or attempt to, which seems kind of silly. <laughs> um, so that's why I, in the Carlins, I, uh, I pick Mill Woods to to set it in because it, it just seems it seems so foreign, I think. Like I mean, when people ask me about the play, one of the things I get when it was first read or produced in Mighty Carlin's was, are you gonna keep this play set in Edmonton? Like, cause just as Canadians, we're so I don't know what it is. It's just something in our bones that says we can't have plays, we can't tell our stories set in our cities, and we can't reference like Edmonton. We definitely can't re- reference Mill Woods. And I was like, no, it's always gonna be set there. And I think even more importantly, it was like if I if I cut anything, it would be references to Edmonton. It wouldn't be to Mill Woods. Um, so, yeah, that's where we started. It was just this idea of, like, the reputation Mill Woods has, which doesn't really relate to the the real area it is, which is a boring suburb. So, uh, which has, ha- has had drive-by shootings in it and has had, unfortunately, there was a firebombing back in the day. And, and the thing that I found interesting about the firebombing that happened was, they firebombed a house, but they, they got the wrong house. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's bad. And then afterwards, I remember that the people who firebombed this house wrote an apology letter and dropped it in the mailbox of the house that they firebombed. And I was like, that is kind of Mill Woods. <laughs> that seems like, yeah, appropriate in some way. Yeah, I was listening to the CBC coverage this week of the, because they were set up in Mill Woods, I yeah. think, remotely this week. And uh, yeah, a lot of it was talking about how, you know, like a decade and a change ago, they that's when a lot of the violence and stuff was happening. Um, and then there's, um, there's an incident in Roots, which is also in the anthology, um, about a man being killed on a bus. Right. So that was inspired by a true story that that did happen on uh, on a bus. And I believe it was um, it was 2006. So uh, right when I was commissioned or asked to come up with an idea for a play, this incident was in the paper. Uh, So I was like, uh, Miyako Ochi commissioned the play through Concrete Theater. And she she wanted to write a play on uh, male teen uh, violence and bullying. And so I said, well, this just happened. And this is interesting. And just as the story came out what of this incident that happened on a bus, which was three teenagers um, basically got in a fight at the back of the bus with a with an older gentleman, and then uh, 
the 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 man died. He uh, he was he was pushed and he fell down and he banged his head as he's going down and he passed away from it. So um, it, it was just the story of that was like what originally was reported was like these three teens attacking this older man. And then as, as uh, things came out over the, ne- over the coming months and years that actually there was a fight and it was a fight about Metallica mm-hmm. and it was just this unfortunate incident where the kid pushed him and he died. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so that, and that, that's what, so I was explaining that in Roots as well as with violence at this kid's home and uh, violence at his school. So mm-hmm. yeah, the character who's riding the bus and kind of like noticing all of these yeah these things yeah yeah um, uh, one of the one of the big themes uh, in Roots or at least that this character is dealing with and also in the Mighty Carlins is um, the the idea of um, al- you know alcoholism and and there is that sort of like kind of like latent anger and resentment around um, you know family and. Uh, dealing with those sorts of things, um, and you write very like, candidly in your introduction about uh, about your father yeah. and um, how a lot of this is based around you know your exp- your family experience. Yeah, so I always I describe like so I've written like I've written three plays about alcoholism now. So the first one was The Mighty Collins, which was um, a black comedy, and I call it a funhouse mirror uh, look at 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 my family through alcoholism of. So it's not it's uh, it's 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 a black comedy that's taken to extremes about dealing with alcoholism, and it's also I realize afterwards a play about suicide a lot, um, and about the the consequences of not dealing with uh, your emotions from suicide or not dealing with the person that's in trouble. Uh, so yeah, that one, and then Roots was more of a, um, an honest look at it from a fifteen year old's point of view about alcoholism, and that one's probably the closest play I've ever written about alcoholism. That's really from my life, and it's uh, it's a play that I'm very I'm very uncomfortable watching. So I mean, whenever whenever it's produced, I I, I don't go to the rehearsals much, and I see one like one performance, and then I don't watch it because I'm like, oh man, I just put way too much in this play. Like it's too personal. And then the third play, which isn't in this collection, but uh, was just recently produced, was Terry and the Dog, and so that was more about writing a play for my father because the other two plays are about my father and tearing the dogs about me writing about my father as the sober man he became for the last, like, I think it's 27 years now. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, how, uh, has, has your father seen your work? Does he... Yeah. Yeah. So my dad's seen, he hasn't seen, my parents haven't seen roots because I just said to them, um, I just told him, I was like, it's a play written from the 15 year old perspective. And I think it, it might upset you because I, and I don't want to hurt you. I'm good with this stuff, but it's from a 15-year-old point of view, which is a little bit different. So it's from a little boy's point of view. Um, so I was like, I don't think you should see this. If you want to, you, you can. And they're like, no, I don't. We're, we're good. We don't need to see that one. But my dad's seen Mike Collins. So he loved it. And he came and saw Terry and the Dog with me on uh, the closing night. So we, we uh, yeah, and he was good with that too. Like he always says, you know, his, his attitude is there's nothing I can do to take back what happened then. And all I can do is... Uh, is just apologize for it. So I'm good with whatever you need to do. And so like with the, with the kids play roots, what he said about that was, cause I, I called him right before it opened and said, I'm sorry I wrote this play. And like, you're not in the best light and I don't mention anything, how you've changed. And he said, he said to me, uh, he's like, I don't really care about that. If this helps one kid in a school, then then that's fine right, that right, they know right. my story. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, in 27 years, you know, like he's been, he's completely different than what's <laughs> yeah. in the plays. Now. Right. And that's like, like my last play that's what Terry and the dog is a lot about just about how my dad is now, which is like this man who just like, like in Terry and the dog, it's, it's about a man who, who's waiting for his dog to come back to life. And this dog keeps dying with my dad. One of the things was when he lost 
our family cat in like 2002, he just went into this, this strange depression over this cat that was just like, like he just said his life was empty and he didn't know what to do. So, I mean, that's why I was like, this is this man that used to, I used to be afraid of when he was drinking became this gentle, caring person once he sobered up and dealt mm-hmm. with his stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Terry and the Dog was just like, just a fantastic play. Robert Benz's performance was just incredible. And same thing with Cole, Cole Humania as well. Um, one thing that I kind of saw between... Um, I haven't seen the Carlins in production, so I've just I've read it. Right. Um, but I, after seeing Terry and the Dog and reading the play, um, I kind of thought a little bit about that. Um, you... You seem to have this interesting way where you play with, like, memory of what actually happened and what didn't. Or, you know, trying to interrogate uh, that the the mind that is affected by alcohol. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think it's a lot about just um, uh, what we think we see and what we actually see or what um, – and a lot about living in denial. I think Mighty Carlin says a lot about 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 denial and secrets and, and – and uh, in the Mighty Carlins, it's uh, it's it's a father and two sons that come together every year to uh, share memories about their deceased mother, and so uh, the first act of the play is really just a setup of of them doing the sharing circle, so them them arriving at the father's house and getting into these fights and battles, and then the second act like is about I think them actually dealing with stuff, so and about what what the father believes the story he wants to tell about what happened and what the the kids know happened. So, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I guess with Terry and the dog, it's, it's similar to that where it's, it's, it's about Terry's memories of, of, of what he did. Oh, he got the table there. I banged the table. <laughs> <laughs> you can see Andrew just like, <laughs> um, well, also just, I guess to shift gears a little bit, um, you know, the Carlins and even let the light of day through, um, they all have some pretty funny parts in it. Um, and I wanted to ask if there actually is a gold Jesus that ex- exists somewhere in Millwoods on top of a church. <laughs> no. Okay. So, um, that's actually where the place started was, um, my brother offhand and this is like in 2000 2001 i can't remember where he he just mentioned that there was this the mormon this mormon church in the west end of edmonton so it was in millwoods had this gold jesus on the roof and it's a gold jesus and someone should steal it and i was like that is insane like i was just like that is crazy and so that's where the place started was with just this offhand mention um but (laughs) there isn't a gold jesus on a mormon church in the west end there's 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 a there's an angel that's on the church, on this Mormon church in the West End. I can't, I can't remember the Morningstar angel or something. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it is. And it's I, it's not gold. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it was just like, just I just love I just loved the, the, the word gold Jesus. I just found that funny. So that's basically where that started from, right? And the, yeah, so I mean, all my plays, I think, will usually have comedy in them. Because I think, so, I, I really think it's important that um, people are laughing and, and enjoying it so then you can take them to darker places because mm-hmm. they're open to laughter so then they're open to the characters I guess right yeah and in Let the Light of Day Through that that laughter it allows some relief in a play that's not uh, about you know something very tragic about the death of a child yeah um, and so I liked the interjection that you had that um, your wife Laura Brovold told you that um, you shouldn't try to brand it as a comedy <laughs> about a dead child <laughs> well yeah I mean like so when I wrote Let the Light of Day Through um, I just uh I want. I was interested in, in like exploring the death of a child, and I was like, but I didn't want it to turn into um, 
like whenever you say that, you say, yeah, I'm writing a story that's if the couple loses a child. We, because we're so familiar with stories and we're, we, we know them so well, the first reaction most people have is, oh, God, I know this story. This is just going to be sad and depressing and I don't want to see it, right? And, and it's going to go into melodrama. And, uh, and so I was like, I want to write this story, but it's, not, it's about the death of a child, but it's also about exploring a relationship, a long-term relationship. And so I always, when I was writing, I kept saying, this is a comedy, right? I'm writing a comedy about a dead baby, but, <laughs> but, but that really shuts people off when you say that. <laughs> so that was, yeah, Laura's just saying, this, maybe say bittersweet, yeah. But it was always like when, I, when, when the play's about to go, has been read or rehearsed, I'm always like, don't, because actors worry about going there. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, don't worry about going there because the characters in this play don't go there until the very end. So it's about them avoiding going there. So make it funny and worry about making it funny. And then when we get to that part, it'll work. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, and, and Laura was in the premiere of this yeah. this play. So um, when you were working on it, I, I don't know. Do you have a habit where you kind of like like her to t- like she's a fantastic actor? Yeah. Um, so, you know, do you test out lines with her or anything like that? Or? No, no. I, uh, I keep it pretty. Um, I'll get her to look at stuff sometimes. And I think she did read some of it with me at one point. But usually during the first draft, I don't I, I, I just write for myself and I keep it pretty quiet and don't share it with anyone. So uh, just because sometimes uh, the feedback you get on a first draft uh, and this isn't from Laura. I mean, this is just the, my experiences. Sometimes people don't get that a first draft isn't a final draft. So it's just like it's like a lot of my bad writing is going to be in that first draft. And this play is going to be really big and ugly. And I'm going to have to rewrite it a lot. So, right. right. Yeah. Well, what was the experience like to see, um, you know, you, someone you're very close with in this in this show in its premiere and dealing with something, you know, super, super difficult to to talk about as like as a family, I guess. Yeah, no, it was fine. Like, I don't know. I mean, because I was an actor, I, I don't I treat it as it's just a job like she was doing a job. So, I mean, I wrote the play for her and I thought she'd be great in it. So that was one of the reasons I wrote it. And then, and yeah, I mean, that whole experience of doing Let the Light of Day through with uh, a theater network with uh, Laura and Jesse Gervais and Brad Moss directing. It was just it was just a positive experience where we just. You know, it's the same with Terry and the Dog and a couple other places where there's just the actors get together and they just embrace the work and they and they go for it. And so it was just, yeah, it was just incredible to see it. Um, how did you feel about uh, the set in in Let the Light of Day Through? Because in in the in the script of the play, it just says, uh, you know, uh, Ben's room is revealed, and it was actually a much bigger thing that happened at the end of the show. Like, I mean, for an audience, I think that. Paul and I even still talk about like how the end, like end of that show was just like this beautiful reveal. But yeah, like I mean, I it's just I had to keep it. I couldn't. I had to keep it simple because it, in the description. So at the end of the play, it, the play has a door, and they're always going to the store, and they're too afraid to open it, and it's a door to Ben's room. So at the end of the play, they open in the in the theater network production they open the door and Laura goes in and then uh, Jesse's, Jesse's character goes in and when they both go into the room the walls on either side of the door open and they reveal Ben's room so and it's a very v- real room where you see all the stuff of his life there and I I, th- I think it just has this powerful impact but unfortunately um, uh, not uh, other places where this may be produced in the future they don't have the resources to build that so it just had to be like hey here's a suggestion for like we have to reveal the room at the end and hopefully um, those <laughs> those directors will come up with a way or designers will come up with a great way to reveal it so mm-hmm. I mean also the ending of the play I think a lot I, I can't remember if 
in the first draft. It, I had an ending where something about his room being revealed, but it was Brad Moss actually saying, I think we have to have this real room that shows up at the end. And that, and it was like, yeah, it was one of those incredible moments where you're like, oh, yeah. oh it's pretty amazing to have this giant set back there that we've hidden for an hour and a half and to reveal it. Yeah, and then it just shows up and you hear it in the audience, this, like, this gasp. You know? yeah. yeah, like one of, the, one of my great experiences with Let's Light Day 3 was just the opening night. I mean, I mean the, the great thing with new work is that... Um, the audience doesn't know what it is. So like when we bring in plays from a place in Canada or from the US, there's reviews of those plays and there's a history to that and there's and you can get the story. So you can you can have kind of a, a judgment on the play before you see it because you because it has this history. Whereas with a new work in Edmonton, on that opening night there was no history to the play. So no one knew what was going to happen, right? So it was just I, I just remember that opening night at the network just being this incredible energy where the actors were just they were going for it, and the audience was with them the whole time, and it was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, and then everyone's sobbing afterward. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it was a big emotional release there. And then, yeah, and then, of course, it went on to win the outstanding production for that year yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was just, like, the big the big show of the year. Yeah, um, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, you were saying, um, you know, a little bit about uh, how you couldn't re- you couldn't put too much in about, um, you know, telling people exactly what to make it look like. Um, as a as a playwright, um, does it frustrate you, or do you have techniques that you use when you're writing a play, or you're you have to be very aware of knowing that not all of the companies that produce your plays will have the same sort of like setup or resources, or they might have a very different take. Um, I think it's important on the first draft or the first production. Um, like I'm in the room and we're trying to get what I want. So, uh, like that's what's, that's important is like, um, so when we do the first production, I'm very, I'm, I'm involved in like, uh, trying to get the play I want on stage, right. To see what I've imagined in my head works. So when, after that, after that production, I, if someone does a production of it somewhere else, I'm not as much attached to it. And I'm I'm kind of happy just to not be involved and then just show up and watch it and then leave the next day. So and I mean, with with my plays, they're they're pretty low tech. So it's more about um, like I like I when they did one of the productions of Carlin's in Saskatoon, I thank the designer for <laughs> getting out of the way of the play. Mm-hmm. So not trying to design the play. Like this isn't, this is just really what you need is a table and three chairs and the play works for Mighty Carlin's and, and let the lay of day through and roots are the same thing where it's more about two actors on stage doing their thing and, and, and supporting it, but don't, don't get in the way of them. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that's my priority in the first production. Um, and then when, when it gets to second production, I'm not as active. So, like with Roots, it was produced down in Lethbridge at, uh, I think it's New West Theater, it's called. Um, and I had no involvement in it. And I just showed up and I watched it. And they, they did some changes to it. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I, I was like, oh. And, it was, and I, it was the first time I got to watch the play. It was They did it in their main season. So, I watched it with adults, not kids. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is really great. This is different. So, I mean, I didn't really, I was good with what they did. So, I mean, the only thing I always say is like, uh, like for the Mighty Carlins, one of the things I always say is like, uh, make the fun play funny. But in this play, we can never make fun of alcoholism. Like we can't. We what what happened to these kids with their father is serious. So uh, so when we there's a part in Act Two where uh, they actually start talking about the father's alcoholism, and one of the stage directions I put in is that like the character finds none of this funny because it was just one of those parts where I knew from previous rehearsals that 
it can go the wrong way. So with cons, I say never, you can't make fun of alcoholism. And I'm like, you can't make a joke about suicide. Like, mm-hmm. like we can do a black comedy and we can go to the line, but we can't cross the line into the, in, in making fun of these things, mm-hmm. right? They do have they do have consequences to everyone in that family. So that's that's always the thing. And with let the light do through, it's always like, uh, it's the opposite where it's like, don't go there, right? That's what I'm <laughs> always like. You don't have to go there. Make it funny. Mm-hmm. And then roots usually people just. The, they embrace what's there, right? They get it. So yeah, yeah. Um, are are you planning on doing any other uh, young young theater audience sort of stuff? Um, right now, I'm I'm working with Concrete to do one about um, about binge drinking. So I don't know. Like I take a long time to write, so <laughs> I don't know when that will be. But <laughs> but we're, we're I'm trying to figure out what the play is, and they they want to work with me again on something. So yeah, there'll be one more. I mean. I find the I find writing plays for teens um, hard. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit more challenging. Like I mean, I mean, one of the things that happened with, with Roots was the first time I saw it. I hadn't like I hadn't been around kids that much in when when it was produced in two thousand nine. So <laughs> suddenly I write this play, which is pretty, pretty. Uh, there's some violence in it. And it's pretty. It's dark at points. And so I was like, okay. And I I went to the school to watch it. And I was like, oh, my God, these little kids are watching this. Oh, boy. And I was like, I would have never written this if I saw these kids beforehand. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, <laughs> interesting. I was gonna. My one of my questions was gonna be, well, what's next? And it's just like, well, I take a long time to write things. So. Well, yeah. So there's this. The, so there's a, I'm a commission for concrete, and then um, I'm writing a a, a play that uh, hopefully for theater network. We'll see what happens. So it's a. But again, it's it might be. I mean. I'm I'm busy until December, so I'm going to start trying to write stuff in January. And then I also have, sorry, I have a 10-character play called The Takeoff, ah, which well, is that's like, big. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, it's a romantic comedy, um, and it's being workshopped and then publicly read as part of Script Salon uh, next month. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but I don't know where that play's ever going to happen because there's 10 characters, so... Right. Yeah. Who has who has budget for ten characters? No anymore? one does. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, what are some of your thoughts on where um, where Edmonton theater is sitting in general? I mean, we've seen a lot of changes over the last uh, uh, number of years in some artistic directors at certain companies, and um, the types of plays that are being produced as well. There's a lot more diversity, I think, than there was a couple of years ago. Even. So. I I think it's great. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I'm just. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I don't know what else to say. I, I really believe that we more new work has to be produced on Edmonton stages by Edmonton writers with Edmonton actors. So that, I think, has to be a priority. And I think the Citadel doing Miyako Ochi's play last year on, on their main stage was important. I think they need to put more Edmonton writers on that stage. And as well, I, I firmly believe you have to cast a lot of Edmonton actors on your stages. And I think the example of that is the fringe that audiences love that. I mean, there, there are writers in the city that built their reputation on the fringe and there's actors that have done that. So, so that's, that's always my belief. And so hopefully this season, there's quite a few great Edmonton plays. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything in the season that you're really excited about? Um, and I can't think of anything right now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to see uh sweat at the Citadel because my wife's in it. So, I mean, um, yeah, what else is there? I just I, I've been so busy right now. Like I haven't really looked at anything. I'm embarrassed to say. Yeah. Oh, I want to see Hannah Moskovich's play at at Theater Network. Uh, I'm interested in that. Uh, yeah, I guess all sorts of stuff. There's there's always Darren Hoggins play there at Theater Network as well. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> 
though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Nicole Moller's play at Workshop West Theater. That's another one I'm excited I'm about. I'm also really excited yeah. about that one, too. Do you know the title of it? I can't remember it right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming in and chatting with us and being so and being so open and honest about your, yeah. your work and everything. Um, what, what else do you do, Colin, other than playwright? <laughs> um, so my real job is I work at Global Edmonton here in in Edmonton. That's why it's called Global Edmonton, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I work as a as a control room director. So I direct news broadcasts uh, for Edmonton. Um, is there anything about your from your sort of uh, you know playwriting or acting experience that you like to bring into the TV studio? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Colin, and uh, all the best with the book launch next month. Thanks. Great. So thanks to Colin and to New West Press for um, helping us out uh, set up that interview. And um, right now we're just going to go straight into our ads. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation's Well-Endowed Podcast. This month, they're distributing a listener survey, and they want to hear from you. We'll link to the survey in our show notes. They're also starting to run weekly episodes this season, so stay tuned for a lot more Well-Endowed coming your way. To listen to all their episodes and take the survey, head to thewellendowedpodcast.com. Coming soon to the Alberta Podcast Network is Otherwise, a variety podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on Treaty 6 territory. By sharing stories of lived experiences, the show strives to highlight our collective ethno-cultural, linguistic diversity and heritage, reflect who we are as a city, and bring about positive social change. For more info and to listen to their introductory episode, where Ahmed Ali and Karen Tang explain the who, what, where, and why of Otherwise, visit otherwiseshow.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening. It's it's the season is really starting to just get in swing now, and we're still trying to get on top of our our own listings strategy. So um, for now, I'll remind you that we um, we have a Patreon account, and if you like us, if you enjoy us, and if arts coverage is important to you, please consider giving us a you know a cup of coffee a month or something like that, if if you so desire. Um, and with that, uh, I guess I will I will let you on with your day. Thanks so much for listening everyone go see some stuff bye i don't get it is a member of the alberta podcast network powered by atb you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the ckua radio app i don't get it is recorded on treaty six territory in edmonton alberta in the edmonton community foundation's podcast studio our theme music is mountain time by ghibli and you can find more of ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com i don't get it is produced by andrew paul fonda mithrush and paul blenov <laughs>